We've all accidentally dialed a wrong number. If you're like me, probably never gave the interaction a second thought. But for today's guest, a mistyped phone number might have changed her life. This person, this man who fell in love with me because I sent him a text and in a wrong number, that he was giving me his life, you know, at 29. That's Casey Berg, an inspirer, storyteller, power partner, and kidney transplant recipient. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Director of Marketing and Communication for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this episode of The Journey Continues. Casey, take us back to your early 30s. What led to your first kidney transplant? I actually need to go back a little further than that because I was about 27 or 28 and I thought I was pregnant. And back then in 1987, that would be, there weren't the little uh, test kits that you could get at the grocery store. So I had to go, I went to the doctor's office and she said, you're not pregnant, but your urine looks like it's the color of Coca-Cola. And I was like, oh, I'm 27, I don't care. She said, you need to call a kidney doctor, here's his name, and I didn't. And then she called me a few days later and said, have you called him? Because this is really important. And I said, okay. And so then he told me I had um, Berger's syndrome. And uh, for six, seven years, I guess, I went to see him every three months. And my, you know, my kidney levels were the exact same. Every three or four months, they were the same, the same, the same. And so I, that was my introduction to kidney disease. I had no idea that I had really a kidney disease, nor that my kidneys would fail. What is Berger's syndrome? IgA nephropathy. You get like globules that kind of thicken up your kidney and keep it from filtering your blood. How do you feel about that diagnosis so young? That's why I'm saying it just went right past me. I just was 27 and I was like, oh, okay. It didn't scare me. I wasn't aware. I just wasn't even aware. When did you know that you were going to need a transplant? So I saw my doctor in November of 94, and I was the same levels. In January, I started feeling off, and I didn't understand why, and continued into February, March, and... But I was like, I need to eat better. And so I'll never forget that I went and got a fresh squeezed strawberry banana smoothie and drank it down and my whole face went numb. And I didn't know what was happening. But if you think about all that potassium. Mm -hmm. In the bananas, yeah. Yes, and the strawberries. And so I did not know what was happening. And I went and saw my doctor in April, and he said, you have 20% kidney function. Wow. And it was, I think it was the day before, I never can remember if it was the day before or the day after the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm. And so I had two days that rocked my world. How long did you have to wait then for a transplant after getting that news? Just three months. Wow. May, June, July. I was transplanted on July 14th. My sister ended up being a six antigen match. And I had a doctor who had left the big hospital system 
to go into his own practice and so that he could be nimble and he did, he was. And so I just got in and in three months it was, you know, and I just thought that that's how it all worked. I had no idea that it was any different than that. Right. That some people wait for years and years for a kidney. So that's, right. yeah. that's great that your sister was such a close match. Yes. Yeah. Perfect match. What was that transplant like post-transplant, post-surgery? I ended up having a hemorrhoid. It made, I was in the hospital for 12 days. So it was, oh it was long and, and the, actually the hemorrhoid operation was more painful than the transplant <laughs> with you. Um, but I always say, you know, then once I felt better and they released me and I think I was on like 70 or 80 milligrams of prednisone and I came home and cleaned the house and the next night we went to see Atlanta Rhythm Section at a, an outside venue. <laughs> it was just like no big deal. No big New deal. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it was <laughs> tremendous. Yeah. I don't know so, if it was just me being me or like I said, if it was right, if it was all the prednisone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Switching topics a little bit. How'd life change for you in your mid forties? Well, just, you know, I was married and I'll admit that I wasn't that happy, but all of a sudden everything changed on a dime and my husband was acting differently. And I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, I think I'm having a midlife crisis. And as soon as he said it, it was over. It was over. Everything was different. And um, I was out of my own house within a month. He was remodeling our house or I would have stayed there, but I moved into an apartment. Now, this was my own, you know, my own like issues of abandonment. But I felt like I was a three-year-old who had to live on her own in the big, mean world. I used to like walk around and see people at work that were having coffee and I couldn't understand how they could just be having coffee because my world was over. Where did you turn for support? Who was in your corner? Well, like everybody was. And the first thing and something that still stands out to me is that I missed touch. And so when I was out with people, I would ask them if I could touch them. Can I touch your leg? Can I hold your hand? Any, you know, men and women, all of my friends were so great. And the other thing that I did was I asked friends to write something nice about me. Mm. Sounds kind of silly, but it was, you know, kind of an uplifting thing. And I created a Word document with all the different things that people said about me. And then I just kept it with me in my um in my padfolio at work and i would just like read it if i needed to and yeah so everybody was great even in in my direct office i just told the people who worked for me that sometimes i might have to shut my blinds and just i'd cry and well, a friend of mine was like why don't you wear makeup anymore <laughs> i said because i cry every day i cry on my way to work i cry at work and i cry on my way home but still, that was just like her personality. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's silly at all to, to ask people to say something nice about you or what, hear how many people love you. And I think that's such a great way to support yourself during that hard time. Thank you. I am, um, let me interrupt you. I'm sorry to do that. But oh, I think no. that there's something important to say here. And that was when I figured out you can't grow from the outside. 
you have to do it for yourself. And so while I did have support, while I did have people I could hug and touch, and I had my document, I had to do it myself. I had to grow and, and learn to start appreciating my life as I knew it, the friends that I had, just the wonders of, of being single, which didn't, I didn't even know how to do it, you know, but the universe just kept giving me tests. My favorite one was I'm tall. I'm like, I was almost 5'10 at my tallest and the universe kept giving me short men to date. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is what I have to do. Or I'm not, if I don't pass this test. And so it was a really great ego thing to figure out how I could be more myself and be okay with being taller than a man. So I just kept getting great opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I think that's such an important thing to remember that the external changes will come as a result of the internal work you're doing. I think exactly. that's, that's great. How'd your view of yourself shift during all of this? You know, it was about three or four months after we split up that I suddenly realized that I felt like myself 24 hours a day instead of just when I was away from my husband because wow. I had felt like I needed to act differently. So that was one of the biggest things. And I got this, you know, a thing from Facebook or whatever from a friend. And it was just right before I ended up, you know, having a kind of a life change. But it was like, it was this little story that said, you know, that a princess, that a prince asked a princess to marry her. And she said, no. And she got to travel around the world and keep her apartment and all her shoes and the toilet lid was always down. And it's like the funniest thing. But it was like, that's me. That's me. I go to rock concerts. I have my own place. I have friends everywhere. And so it's it's like I, I came into me being me. And I felt, you know, so much joy at that awareness. I was like, Oh, look, look at what I've become. And I'm happy with this. Now I'm not feeling a lack or a loss or that I'm alone or anything. I I really changed. That's wonderful when you can look around at your life and be proud of what you see and feel good yes. about all of the things you have and not fretting over the things you don't have. I love that. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. What happened in June of 2012 that maybe changed your life a little? Well, it's so funny because I went back and found that princess thing and it, I think I got it the week before that. Oh, wow. Hilarious. I was in Denver. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was in Denver for a work thing. And I had been out there visiting a girlfriend that I hadn't seen in 25 years. And so we were really cherishing our time together. And she was taking me downtown to meet the other people from work that I, that were flying in from St. Louis. And I texted the woman I was supposed to meet. And I said, well, I'm almost at the hotel. And she told me that she was still in St. Louis. And I was like, what? Like, I would have stayed with Sonia if I had known you weren't going to be there. But anyway, my friend went ahead and dropped me off at the hotel. And then I started on this very earnest quest to find anybody from Purina 
who was there. Anybody from my work who was there that was supposed to be there, who had come in from St. Louis, and I couldn't find anyone. So then I um, texted one other person that I was like, I know we went to a concert together. I know I have his phone number, but just in case it wasn't him, I, I sent the text to him and I said, hey, it's Casey, just in case. Um, I was supposed to meet Maria at the airport and she um, she's still in St. Louis. And I was wondering if you wanted to hang out. And I got a text back that said, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong number. And I think something that I, I need to set up is that I was raised in the craziest world of synchronicity. My mom used to tell me what she called small world stories ever since I was a little girl. And she surrounded me with so many of them told them to me all the time until the point that I rolled my eyes as a teenager. And I was just like, mother, like, don't tell me any more of this nonsense, you know, but by the time I was in my twenties, they were happening to me all the time. And I, I'm such a person who kind of like dares to be different. I've always been kind of a larger than life taking risks. Even when I was in the throes of despair, my light was stronger than my pain and I continued to grow. And so here I am with this wrong number. And instead of me being like, oh gosh, you know, forget this. I explained to this poor person why I texted him and said, <laughs> I'm sorry I bothered you, but I'm in, I'm in Denver looking for people from work. And he wrote back, I didn't even know it was a he, wrote back and said, oh, interesting. I'm going to be driving through there on my way to my solo walkabout next week. And I thought, well, isn't that an interesting thing to share? And what an interesting person going on a walkabout. At that point, I said, well, it's lovely to meet you. Stay cool. Because it was like 112 here or something. And I hung, we, we stopped. And then I got a cab to take me to Denver City Park, which is probably like the size of Central Park in New York, if you've ever been there, like you can't find your way around in that thing. It's massive. So I'm in the cab. I have a very frugal boss. The cab is now $35 and we don't see one sign, one banner of Purina anywhere. And I said, well, you better take me back. Now, I'm a connector. There is only one person I've been able to connect with in the last several hours, and it's the stranger. So I said to him, <laughs> I then another text and I was like, well, $35 later, I still don't have anybody to hang out with. And a few hours later, I got a text back that said, you know what you put your energy on is what will come back to you. Do you know anything about the law of attraction or have you read the book, The Secret? And my heart like stopped and then swelled as I'm thinking, this is my life. And this stranger on the other side of this phone is asking me about it. And then we went from two strangers in a text exchange to two people joined by this divine energy, this energy of the law of attraction. It was like, now it's literally between us. Wow. That's incredible. This could have just been a, oh, sorry, wrong number ended there. What happened next? We just kept texting back and forth then. The next morning, this crazy person says to me, do I know what my Myers-Briggs personality type is? Which is another, like, are you kidding me? 
moment. But we just, you know, we kept texting and we texted. I got back to St. Louis. We texted for a week. It was like, have you read this book? What kind of music do you like? Do you know anything about this movie? And it was just like this chat, chat, chat back and forth. We did figure out pretty early on that at the time he was 23, I was 52. He was selling paint at Lowe's, but he wanted to be a computer programmer. He had just bought a Mac and was on his way. And I love inspiring young people. So I was like, he said, let's have coffee. And I said, okay. And so, you know, we met and my excitement was to inspire this young man because I've led like the craziest life, but with amazing experiences and, and a path that's been well lit by my connection to the universe and how everything has come forward. And I wanted, I was hoping that maybe he'd be interested in hearing something like that and I could inspire him. And so we met for coffee. Did you think before you met him, well, first of all, did he even tell you his name at this point? I assume he oh, yeah. <laughs> exchanged and that, names. <laughs> and that, I'm sorry, yeah, it's hard to think of all the details. But yes, he told me right at the beginning. So here I was like a detective, right? He said his name was Henry. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to work at two in the afternoon because that's what time it was when I texted him. And he's read The Secret. So I follow those dots and I'm thinking he's retired, right? Ah. Henry who's reading the law of attraction and he is going to work. He's got a part-time job, you know, as a retiree, he's finding himself because men usually start looking for themselves when they're in their fifties or sixties. <laughs> and so, you know, and then I'm like, oh, then he tells me that he's 23. And then he asked me how old I was. And I told him I was 25 at heart. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get right in to tell him yeah. that I was 52 and there wasn't, there wasn't like a really any kind of anything that was flirty, but it was just like kind of making my way through this unexpected situation, I guess. So when you met for coffee, did you have any sort of spark? Did you think at that point, like this might turn romantic or was it just no. here I am to inspire this, this young yeah. person who seems so Absolutely. interesting? It was, it was exciting. And I did pick out what I wanted to wear, but only because I, I knew that I, I, I was like, I'm so cool. You'll not ever meet anybody else at 52 who like, you know, and I guess I showed up in a tie dyed skirt and a t-shirt, you know, and, um, and I was just like, I knew I was going to be me and I knew that we would have fun. And so, no, no, I, I just didn't expect that. And, and we were, it was pleasant. It was fun. I had asked him how tall he was just because I was interested. And he said six, two. And when I first met him, he had, I, when I first looked at him, I noticed that he had a tattoo on his arm and I was like, Oh, look at, you know, he's like so cool. Right. And he was very pleasant. The other thing I can add in is that through all those texts, like I didn't just meet some crazy stranger. His vocabulary is that of a very old soul his everything about his shares were deep so thoughtful so kind so that's who i knew i was walking in to see when i opened the door of the coffee shop a very old soul and i knew i was a very young soul and so i just knew that we were going to get along fine 
Do you want me to tell you what happened or do you? Yeah, to- please. I'm on the edge of my seat. There was a concert that night. It was 4th of July weekend and St. Louis has a big fair underneath the arch at the riverfront. And Third Eye Blind was playing and I had passes, VIP passes through the company when I used to work at Purina. And so I was like, hey, you can have two passes. You and your friend can like hang out there. My friend and I were going to go. And while we were at coffee, his friend canceled. And then so did mine. Uh And And I actually said, well, do you trust me? Because why don't we just go together? And we actually ran back to my apartment. I grabbed all of the stuff, you know, the passes and the tickets and And then we headed to the concert and I'm kind of like a tornado, you know, and I was a corporate representative at this event and I'm like running around. I introduced him to some friends and I just left him there. And, you know, and so he, he had, did have to trust me because I like really turned into who I was in my role at that event. But friends from my apartment complex were there, good friends, and they just, took him in. I mean, he looks like he's 17. (laughs) They never questioned me. They just said, all right, Henry, hang with us. And then I came back and, and then the concert started. And so we kind of made our way up to the front of the stage. You know, we're like the concert is going and we're dancing. And then he was standing behind me. And all of a sudden I felt him put my, his hands on my hips. And it was like, whoa. And at that moment, my ego is screaming, this, there's no way this can work. You're 52 and he's 23 and he looks like he's 17. But at the same time, I just like felt so, I felt taken care of or something, you know, mm-hmm. that this 23 year old would have that, that powerfulness to be able to kind of do a little possessive, you want to be with me kind of thing. So my favorite way to say this is I didn't look up over my shoulder and say, oh, no, bucko. (laughs) (laughs) I just was like, well, and I'm a great believer from Eckhart Tolle of this is the moment. And and Byron Katie, who's about loving what is. And I was like, this is what's happening. And I am not going to stop it. So that took a great amount of confidence and trust on both of your parts. It sounds like to, to go from this coffee to a concert to it's turning romantic. Now, what happened from there? When did you make your relationship official? So he was going on that walkabout. We met on Friday. I didn't see him on Saturday. We met for another coffee on Sunday. He had his car loaded and he was on his way to the great basin to go look at the stars. We met for another coffee and at that, I used to live above that coffee house for a year. And every day for a year, I got a hot Mayan mocha. And that night I decided to get it iced. And when he got there, I was having a challenge with my computer and I asked him if he could take a look at it. And I said, let me go get your coffee. What would you like? And he said, an iced Mayan mocha. Wow. So little things just kept us on that path, you know? We definitely exchanged some kisses before he then left. And he, you know, got in his car and started driving. And he said he wasn't going to contact me because it was going to be all about finding himself on that trip. I did make a playlist for him of songs, but I also did give him like the Alchemist book, which I think everybody should read. 
and uh, some Eckhart Tolle things and Wayne Dyer, I think the power of intention loaded on my iPod and gave it to him. And then the next day he called me, he called <sighs> me that night and we talked for a long time. And then in the morning I woke up and he had recorded a voice message that he like then dropped into my voicemail. He told me he loved me. So it was like, you know, it's oh been goodness. three or four days at this point in this young old soul has just like said in the most gentle, loving, kind, wonderful message that he loves me. And I listened to it about 15 times over and over and over <laughs> again. And then he was gone for two weeks. And then it that gave me this time to start looking at myself and saying, how do you feel about this? And how are you going to do with this age difference? I keep thinking the universe gives me these things for me to learn and grow from. So I didn't, I didn't, it, there was no question. It was hard because I, I was afraid of people thinking I was his mom. I was extraordinarily well known in our community and that people would be looking at me professionally and thinking I'd lost my mind. But I knew that when I was with him, his depth of spirit and knowledge was unlike anybody else I'd ever met. So it just felt like it was a, it was just the thing for me to do next. I love that you trusted yourself. And it sounds like in a lot of ways, it was sort of a, a love at first sight, even if maybe you weren't thinking romantic at first, and yeah. you two were drawn to each other. Yeah. When did things start to shift with your health? Literally about six years into our relationship, my number started to change. You know, the my kidney function numbers started to go downhill. And um, I tried to do everything. I, you know, uh, Deepak Chopra says you can trust the diagnosis, but you don't have to trust the prognosis. So I was determined I was going to turn my kidney function back around. Only I didn't. I tried, you know, but I didn't. You know, I had my nephrologist. I went to see him one time and he said, well, I'll see you in six weeks. And then I was, I left his office and I thought, I, I cannot make it another six weeks. And I called him and I said, I think I need dialysis now. You know, it was going to be so different because my first time I had a kidney within three months, but you know, when you're in the large hospital, they have all their protocols and they started on them and it was about getting on the list and then seeing if there was anybody who could be a match or a, even a donor. And, you know, bless his heart, um, Henry had to, I can still remember where we were standing in my kitchen and it was, you know, what, three or four weeks after we met and he told me if I ever needed a kidney that he had O positive blood. Oh, so, wow. like, you know, at the very beginning, so we still went through all the protocols and everything and it came out I, I don't even remember when in the two years if it was way closer to the end but turns out that i never developed any antibodies to him and while we did not match on any antigens my kidney surgeon said that i shouldn't ever reject his kidney so wow that's amazing so you're a perfect match in love and sort of in kidneys yeah yeah. How did he support you aside from the huge step of giving you a kidney? How did he support you during dialysis as your health was taking a oh, turn? You know, it's just hard to, 
to say because it's just so supportive. I mean, I took myself to dialysis every day because I would get there at 6 or 6.30, but I wasn't working. I was on disability through work. And he was just always, you know, completely supportive. What was transplant day like for you? Because I imagine going through surgery yourself is scary enough, but seeing your partner go through surgery at the same time would probably be double scary. What was that like for for you? It was really overwhelming. I'm, you know, when I think about it, it was like going on vacation where you just don't even believe it until you get to the airport. Mm. You know? I love that analogy. So we were at the hospital and I don't even think it, until they took him away that I was like, oh, wow, it's now, you know, we're not, we're not at the airport waiting to go someplace. This is, this is it. Interestingly enough, so we had been covered by the newspaper in, in St. Louis after our wedding, and then they wanted to do a story on us about our transplant. So we had a reporter who'd been working with us for a couple weeks in advance and a photographer, and they were both at our house at like six in the morning, the day of the transplant. And oh so goodness. that added a, an element of, is this real? You know, it wasn't just me and him. We had a photographer there and a reporter. And then the photographer, like they took Henry before they came and got me, do you know, to prep him. And so he went with Henry and then I was like left with my mom and my sister. You know, I, I kept waiting for them to give me some kind of medicine to make me feel calm. I kept saying, isn't it time? Can I have that IV yet? We have this amazing picture. The photographer is standing behind Henry's bed, which is perpendicular to me. So Robert got a picture of me and then I got a picture of Henry right as he was going. And that was that like is what I keep remembering to bring me back to what your question was of just feeling humbled and blessed that this person, this man who fell in love with me because I sent him a text and in a wrong number, that he was giving me his life, you know, at 29. That's amazing. So many things had to come together for this moment to happen. Yeah. And they did perfectly, it sounds like. Yeah. And so given that, being very incredulous about this, I went to, I put on Facebook and I said, does anybody know a mathematician who can help me with the odds of this? And a friend said her son is a mathematician, you know, was in school. And so she connected us and I told him, wrong number text, two different cities, 29 years apart in age, we met and fell in love anyway, and that he was able to give me a kidney. And he did his math stuff and sent me a text after about an hour and said one in a billion. Wow, that's incredible. We all have relationships, whether it's with a, a, a spouse or a partner or a sister or a mom, all those people can drive us crazy, right? Life does that. And when you mm -hmm. live with someone and you have life challenges or personality traits, and sometimes you are so frustrated and so it's easy to get lost in that sometimes. And then it's amazing to come back to one in a billion because we just live our life every day. We mm -hmm. live adventures all the time. 
tonight we're going to go see John Anderson, who's the singer from Yes. And we just found out Ringo Starr is coming to St. Louis. Like, we love music. During COVID, when I couldn't go anywhere, we just would take drives. So everything is an adventure for us. Oh, I love it. You have such a beautiful way of looking at things, and it's very inspiring. Thank you. I know your your career has transitioned some over the years. What are you passionate about and working on now? Having been a woman who found out at 34 that she was getting a kidney transplant, finding out at 46 that her life as a married woman had completely changed. And then when I, I had to retire early from Purina to go on dialysis, and I didn't know who I was for three or four months afterwards. I would just say to people, I used to work at Purina. It was like, I didn't even know how to define myself. And I've recognized that women pour so much of themselves into everyone else. And we lose ourselves in our roles of mom, wife, what our job title is, all those things. And then when they're taken away, we don't know who we are. And so I'm really interested in working with women to help them know that there's light, you know, and that I my um, brand identity is a lighthouse because I like to think that I can light the way for women to find that they are so amazing. Like we're amazing as moms and wives and all that stuff. And you can still be a mom and a wife and you can even have your role, but I want women to know that they are amazing. We are amazing creatures. And we are here, I think, to work together and bring our creative energies into places where it's going to be us who changes humanity and it's going to be us who saves the planet. I've gotten a lot of that inspiration from a woman who's kind of a role model for me but when you just start looking around at how women 50 and 60 and 70 get a PhD, and sorry, you guys out there, but a lot of men at that same age get a new car or <laughs> find a new young girlfriend or wife. And we are made of some incredible stuff. So I'm on my way to coaching my goal is to have international groups of women online because I think that we, as that mentor of mine says, we can't become ourselves by ourselves. And I want to have online groups of like-minded women who share with each other and help each other just grow past the self-imposed walls and glass ceilings and things that we impose upon ourselves that as soon as we break through them, there's so much self-awareness and self-knowledge that I feel like we need to do. And it's the perfect time. No time like the present. Yeah. And, and when you're older, not that younger women can't do it, but I think there's something really powerful about women in their fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties. Well, what advice do you have for other people who are waiting for their, we'll call it their Henry, their, their great love, their kidney, their whatever it is they're waiting for, pining for, what advice do you have for them? To get to know themselves, to listen, to empower themselves through new ideas, through books, through challenging status quo. I have had to figure out a lot about my health that 
um, has been self-driven. I think there's a lot of information out there about people who are could probably change their their course on kidney failure by changing their diet. It's like take a hold of yourself and learn and grow and be curious and question and become empowered. And through that, your health is going to improve and you'll be drawn into finding the great resources for you, whether it's love or a new job or to get the inspiration to write your book or get your PhD or have your health turn around. I think that's so important to figure out who you are in order to move forward and find the things that work for your life and are good for you. I think that's that's wise. Yes. Where can people keep up with you online? Caseyberg.com is my email. I mean, my website. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Casey Berg. And okay. I post fun stories about Henry and myself, and I do inspirational posting. And I am not ready yet to start my groups, but if people want to visit my website, then they'll have a chance to uh, sign up for my newsletter. I'm out all the time posting about things and trying to inspire people. Wonderful. We'll link to all of that in our show notes too. Thank you so much. Casey, thank you so much for coming on The Journey Continues and sharing your really incredible story that I happened to hear about it in an airport shortly after my own divorce. So everything sort of also cosmically came together in order for us to talk today. So it's just amazing to me that, um, what was it your mother called it? Small world, small world, story. small world stories, how all of those kind of come together. Cause you were walking Working. through the airport and you heard me on the Tamron Hall show talking about my sudden divorce, which I did your ears and Lo and behold, after the commercial, you found out that Henry had given me a kidney. And <laughs> yeah. then I'm sure you were just like going, what? Yes, I was. <laughs> just curious, right? <laughs> I was. I thought, well, this was a story created just for me. And yes. I just happened to be in the middle of the day. Would I never get to catch the Tamron Hall show. And I did that day. So it, it worked out perfectly. That's where the listening comes from when mm. I say that. Because there is stuff... There's little messages all around us and learning how to just slow down and listen because they are there. Absolutely. The odds of meeting your partner and kidney donor via a wrong number text are enormous, but miracles happen every single day. Follow along with Casey's miraculous journey as she continues to flourish at CaseyBerg.com. Want to learn more about living donation or find support? Visit NKFI.org. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention is a huge part of our mission at NKFI, so here's Dr. Melissa Prest with a health and nutrition tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about probiotics and prebiotics. As defined by the National Institutes of Health, probiotics are live microorganisms that are intended to have health benefits when consumed or applied to the body. They can be found in foods such as yogurt, fermented foods, dietary supplements, and beauty products. Probiotics help your body maintain or replenish a healthy community of microorganisms. Probiotics may also influence your body's immune response. They've been used to treat gastrointestinal conditions like antibiotic-associated diarrhea, inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel disease, diverticular disease, 
dental disorders like tooth decay and gum disease, conditions related to allergies like hay fever, asthma, atopic dermatitis, and other conditions like acne, urinary tract infections, and upper respiratory infections. If you're looking to add some probiotic-rich foods to your diet, try yogurt, buttermilk, sourdough bread, cottage cheese, kombucha, tempeh, fermented pickles, fermented sauerkraut, kimchi, or miso soup. Prebiotics come from plant fibers and aid in the growth or activity of beneficial microorganisms in your gut. Fruits, vegetables, and whole grains are especially those that contain complex carbohydrates such as fiber and resistant starch, contain most of the prebiotics in our diet. Prebiotics can help you absorb calcium, change the rate at which foods cause your blood sugar to rise, ferment foods faster to help you have regular bowel movements, and keep the cells that line your gut healthy. Foods that contain prebiotics include apples, artichokes, asparagus, bananas, barley, berries, flax seeds, garlic, green vegetables, leeks, legumes, oats, onions, tomatoes, soybeans, and wheat. Some foods may also be fortified with prebiotics, such as bread, cereals, and cookies. Try to get prebiotics from your food versus a supplement. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois.